Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today we celebrate the second Sunday of Advent. Now it's interesting how the gospel for this weekend begins. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. Well, it begs the question, why? Why does Luke begin this passage of the gospel in this way? We have to understand most of the stories and the texts and as well as the books that were written in the ancient world were written in this way. They began to call upon the powerful and the influential of the world as a means to grab the attention of the reader of that book or that story. These people are the power brokers. They are the authority within this world. In our day and age, it would be like if we are to write a book or a story, we would immediately, at the very beginning, call upon the power brokers of our world, presidents, ambassadors, governors, prime ministers. So it begs the question, is Luke, as he begins his gospel, is he trying to emulate or imitate all other books that were written in the ancient world? Is Luke trying to tell us that his gospel is just like any other book or story that is typically read or written in the ancient world? No. In fact, on the contrary, Luke is telling us in this gospel passage, the power of the word of God came to John. Notice what he says here. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Here, Luke is telling us that this gospel is going to be like any other story or book that was ever written in the ancient world. The power of God does not come from the power brokers. The power of God is not given to Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, or Herod of Galilee. Instead, the power of God and the word and the message of the Messiah that is to come, that powerful message is not given to the power brokers, the elite, the powerful in society. Instead, the power of the word of God is given to a poor little nobody, John the Baptist. Now, logic dictates that if God were to make sure that this powerful message, the message of a Messiah coming into this world that is going to save the world, if God truly wanted this powerful message to be promulgated or proclaimed throughout all the world, logic dictates that God would have given it to the most powerful. Take, for example, Caesar. All he had to do was snap his fingers and immediately this promulgation, this proclamation of the Messiah coming into this world 
would have effectively and efficiently been proclaimed throughout the entire Roman Empire. Everyone would have known of it. And yet, God does not give the power of the word and this message to the power brokers, the movers and the shakers of the world. Instead, God gives it to a poor little nobody, John the Baptist. How is John depicted in the Gospels? Dressed in camel skin, eating wild locusts and honey, living in the desert? According to all worldly standards, John is a poor little nobody. He does not live in palaces. He holds no positions of power, no influence, no authority. It seems like the last person that God would turn to, to speak this powerful message, to entrust with this message that the Israelites have been longing to hear for centuries on end, that the Messiah is coming. You'd think John would be the least of all the people that God would turn to. Instead, he turns to this poor little nobody, John. What's the first lesson that we can take from this? God does not trust the powers of this world. Why? Because they mislead. They're deceitful. The powers of this world come in many different forms, honor, pride, whether it's materialism, political power, whatever it is, they, sometimes they mislead and are deceitful. More to it, by the very measure in which we rely upon these powers to be the ultimate sustaining power in our life, such that they, these worldly powers, dictate how we should live our lives, that's when we have big troubles in the spiritual life. And so the first lesson we can take from this is if God the Father does not trust the powers of this world to proclaim a message that is going to change the world forever, instead he trusts a poor little nobody, neither should we. This poor little nobody is a significant character in the eyes of God. Why? Because John the Baptist has orientated his life to God and God alone. God is the central organizing principle for John. And see, that's why God the Father gives John the power of the word and the message that is going to change the world forever. And see, this is why John is such a major biblical figure during this season of Advent. What does John proclaim? It says, John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John realizes just how radical sin has an effect in our life. Then he also preaches that a Messiah will come. A Messiah will come and bring a people exiled because of sin back to God. If you look at the Israelite history, the Israelites from time to time have been conquered. They've been held captive. First, the Babylonians, then the Assyrians, then the Egyptians. And during Jesus' time, the Israelites are held captive by the Romans. Well, now John turns to us and he tells us to have the courage and the strength to take a deep, long look at ourselves and that we, too, are held captive. In this case, captive by our own sin. See, that's why we sing that great Advent song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God. 
O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Well, why is Israel held captive? Because of their own sin. So too with us. Now, if we are held captive, held hostage, what's required to set us free? A ransom. Someone must pay a ransom to liberate us, don't they? Well, the ransom is paid. The first down payment of that ransom is Jesus, God, coming into this world, being born like us. That's the first installment. The ransom is paid in full when Jesus mounts the cross, dies our death, and then rises to new life. Now the ransom has been fully paid. We have been bought by Christ. And therefore, sin and death no longer has us hostage. We are no longer captive by it. And see, that's what the first reading from the book of the prophet Baruch is talking about. Baruch, it's interesting, he's a companion. Scholars believe he's the secretary or the associate of Jeremiah. Baruch and Jeremiah, as well as the Israelites, are now held captive, literally, by the Babylonians. And yet, Baruch says, Up, Jeremiah, stand upon the heights, look to the east, and see your children. Gather from the east and the west the word of the Holy One. Baruch, yes, he's in Babylon, but he's telling the Israelites that there will be a time in which a Messiah will come and liberate them all. He continues, For God will show all the earth your splendor, and you will be named by God forever. The peace of justice, the glory of God's worship. See, Baruch sees the day in which Jesus will be born into this world. And from that moment, now salvation history begins. Now the great rescue plan from God is underway. And Baruch sees that. That's why he's telling the Israelites to have faith, that hope is coming. And see, that's a great biblical theme, isn't it? God building this road, building a pathway that always leads to him. Notice what Baruch says. God will level mountains and hills and fill valleys. Well, what are mountains and hills and valleys? Well, they're obstacles. They hinder our travel. It's hard to climb a mountain or get around a mountain. It's difficult to travel through a valley. And yet God is going to remove all those obstacles such that nothing will stand in our way from returning back to God. It's a road of liberation that God will construct. This road will facilitate our return. And see, Baruch sees that. He sees it in the form of Jesus Christ. And it all takes place first and foremost at his birth. Now, that theme of exile that weighs heavily throughout the Bible. God's chosen people captured, carried off. Well, it continues now for us in the season of Advent. Again, we have to be strong. We have to have strength and courageous to take a good long look at our lives and see where sin may have captured us, carried us away, such that we, like the Israelites, ache to return to God. And yet, Herein lies the good news. God does not will, nor does he want us to live in exile away from him. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to have righteousness, a right relationship with God. Therefore, God is going to clear all the obstacles in our life, especially the obstacle of Christ. 
so that we can make our way back to God. See, this is what John is talking about when he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, what is that road? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ in the form of his teaching, his sacraments, his church, even the liturgy, the mass right now that we celebrate. That road is no longer going to be hard to travel. There's no longer going to be obstacles that get in our way, that interfere from us getting to God. That will all be cleared away. The road that leads to God now is going to be smooth. It's going to be straight. It's going to be easy for us to follow. See, that's what Baruch and John are talking about. Again, that's why John is such a key figure in the season of Advent. We must be able to listen to him. John is telling us just how radical sin has an effect in our life. G.K. Chesterton once said, The difference between a saint and a sinner, a saint knows he's a sinner. Well, so too must we. We must recognize we're all sinners. I'll be the first to admit it. But nonetheless, if we open our heart, mind, and soul and allow Jesus to clear out those obstacles, especially sin in our life, then the path is straight. It's smooth. It leads to righteousness, a right relationship with God. What does it look like? Well, look at John. John, this poor little nobody, dedicated his life to God. That's why the power of the word of God came to him. That's why he was given the responsibility of proclaiming this powerful message that a Savior was coming into this world. Well, we can have the power of God working in and through us. What does it take? For us to orientate our lives to God. Not the powers of this world, no. They deceit us, they mislead us. Instead, we orientate ourselves to God. Thomas Aquinas once said, the goal for every Catholic, to become a saint. Well, so can we. Now you say to yourself, do I have to therefore separate myself from this world? No, not at all. In fact, I would argue just the opposite. Be like the saints. The saints orientated themselves to God. They opened themselves up, allowed Christ to clear out all the obstacles. Then they went out and engaged the world. They did great things, caring for the poor and the sick, building schools and hospitals, evangelizing, preaching, teaching. So can we. We can do great things. The power of God can rest upon us if we orientate our life to God. If we open ourselves up and allow Christ to remove all the obstacles, including sin in our life, then we too can be saints ourselves. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.